0: Why do salmon swim upstream despite the threat of the bear? Because laying down the foundation for the next generation is worth the risk. This is the Upstream Podcast hosted by me, Salmon Like the Fish, where guests share their pearls of wisdom that could have only been realized through the journey against the current of life. Your presence here and now is no mistake. Keep your ears and your heart open. There is something for you to gain.
1: All right, welcome to episode 7 of the Upstream Podcast. This is Angel Like the Fish. Fish. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with salmon like the fish uh as our guest today so the the, the roles have reversed All right? um and you're in the hot seat now sir i'm really nervous yeah i it's a it's a difficult thing being vulnerable but knowing you like you are probably uh someone that has really demonstrated your vulnerability out in, in public um and, I, and i've always commented that to you like i like that is so admiring and like I'm like, wow, like you really like told people certain things that other people would have just kept to themselves. And it's just like, you know, that, that's a strength. Um, so I, I have full confidence in you <laughs> in this episode for you to uh, to come out shining like you always do. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So um, we started episode six where I was the guest, you know, because it's, t- you know, two men in mental health field talking about their mental health. Um, And I discuss certain things about my childhood and like how things sort of snowballed. And then COVID, in the era of COVID, like how's my mental health state? Um, So I I guess I want to sort of begin in the beginning. Like, did you feel like mental health was uh, an issue for you growing up? You
0: know, actually, I I didn't really even think about it. Um, It wasn't until college, like going from my senior year of high school into college Mm -hmm. where you know my senior year i kind of got into a crowd that was kind of using you know substances here and there recreationally and uh, for me i I had gotten hooked um and what ended up happening was these were the kids who were using drugs recreationally but they were also very smart Mm -hmm, so they mm -hmm. all went to like schools outside of new jersey one went to california one went to boston massachusetts and i went to uh, a local university and uh, you know unlike you you had like your your friend circles and mm-hmm. i did that I, I can bounce around between circles but i always had like a core of friends so when they left and once i stopped using any substances like depression really hit in and also i think with the particular substance i was using my mind i was not thinking normally i had a lot of distortions um and that on the backdrop of having this like catholic background and you know, I was involved with like a charismatic community. So you they conceptualize a lot of things in Catholicism, like spiritually, like spirits and things like this. Mm-hmm. So that was a very bad combination for me. Um, and I was very confused about what I was gonna do with the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, my major delusion, I don't know if I've ever, I've probably never told you this. <clears throat> my major delusion at that time was, uh, if I don't become a priest, God's not gonna bless my life. Oh, wow! And that was like this driving thought that just like made me so depressed. And I went on like retreats, you know, where, where I discerned priesthood for real, which I think, you know, any Catholic guys who's serious about their faith should really think about it at some point. You have to. I mean, it'd be terrible to be married and be like, man, I should have been a priest or whatever.
1: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> um, of course, being sensitive about that topic for people. But this is just what I was going through at mm-hmm. the time. Um, but, you know, I mentioned my cousin, who was the first hug that I received in COVID. He was so supportive of me at that time. He was like my only friend. Wow. So we spent a lot of time together. Uh, he encouraged me. And then I got back into my faith and uh, and that was very helpful. And then from there on, I didn't really felt like I experienced mental health issues that deeply again, up until like now. Yeah. Yeah. So That's, so, so it seemed like your experiences with um would you call it the de- depression in, when you were you know in college or I would say it was definitely depression and if we're if I'm being honest you know I had like these like uh, delusions right mm-hmm. and delusions are considered psychotic so I guess we would call this like with like psychotic feature of like the thinking mm-hmm. but it wasn't like it would get me in trouble I wouldn't go on the street preaching but it was like this this thought that had you know that I, I worked with this one psychiatrist he says that a delusion starts off as a kernel of truth and then more and more layers get put on it to make it more of a delusion right and so for me it was just this my life is going to be terrible and it, it would uh the cognitive distortion really got me it was my life is never going to be better than it was mm. you know uh going forward um and, and religion often plays a a a big role
1: in 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 delusions and I, i'm not saying you know religion's bad or anything like that but you, you, you hear of individuals saying, you know, Satan spoke to me, you know, the, the people that are experiencing, you know, active, you know, hallucinations, delusions. Um, so
0: did you feel like you had like that that Catholic guilt? Yeah, actually, that was probably exactly what it was. It mm. probably was Catholic guilt. Um, and not that I did anything wrong, but it's that I didn't do the better thing. Mm-hmm. I could serve people. I'm being selfish if I want to have a family. And that's all I ever wanted from life. Like people would say what they want to do with their life yeah. as a career. I just wanted the house, the wife and the kids. And you have that now. I mean, oh my God. You have
1: a beautiful family, beautiful home. <laughs> I'm I I'm looking at it now and it's just like, you know, looking from the outside in, right? Someone who doesn't know you or, or anything about you, they would say like, you made it, you mm. know, like you have, uh, you know, your education, you have your, your career, um, you have a beautiful wife, you have beautiful three daughters, um, you have a beautiful home, um, you have your health, you know? Um, so, People would say you are the American, you are the epitome of the American dream.
0: Oh, dude, I got to tell you, I, I really did bust my ass. Like the, there's no, I didn't have my parents pay for my college or for my, my master's degree. My mom paid for my, my, my nursing degree. Mm. I'm half Filipino. So, you know, I had to become <laughs> a nurse. So she paid for my two-year associate's degree. But then I went on to go to uh, you know get a bachelor's in nursing, which was pay- actually paid for by my hospital. Oh, no, nice. And then a portion of my uh, graduate studies was paid for by my school uh, was paid for my hospital as well. But I don't know if you noticed, but at the begin at the at the front door, there's this like Bible verse there. It says, uh, "For I know the plans I have in store for you, plans for your prosperity, not your harm, plans to bring about the future that you hope for." Mm. You know around the time I was depressed and all I wanted was a family that I heard that verse at that time and I put it on my ceiling so that when I woke up in the morning depressed I'd look up and see that and it actually gave me hope so it's really symbolic that that's there at the front door now Um, sort of full circle yeah yeah because I think it's really easy to kind of see someone who has done something or has something and oh they're so lucky or oh you know um, you know someone gave them this but no one gave me I mean I was working two jobs uh, going to school part time, was playing in a band, two different bands too at the same time. I don't know how I did what I did. I Was doing <laughs> triathlon, so I would actually run from like Bergenfield to Washington Heights, Oh my so God. I can get in my running training. Like I mean, I was doing a lot. Like I don't know, I couldn't do that stuff now. But like nothing was handed to me, and like even this, like I'm, I'm super super thankful. When I look back at the past, I'm like I can't believe like. Uh, I wish I could like go back in time to that 20 year old. Like, this is what you're going to have. Just like chill. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry. So
1: you, sp- you spoke about that. Um, you didn't really feel depressed until
0: COVID, right? Is that, is that accurate? You know, actually I didn't know. So I think in the beginning of COVID, I was like, all right, let's do this. And I took it like with this like approach, like, all right, this is going to happen. All right. Um, there was at the beginning of covid someone had shared with me that um the and i mentioned this on another podcast but i'll mention it now too someone had shared with me that the quarantine happened right in the middle of lent which is for the catholic during lent uh it's the 40 days where you're supposed to fast the quarantine happened right in time with that and quarantine in latin actually means 40 days mm. so it was so ironic um so what i really did was kind of look at my life and you know trying to assess like is this where i want to be is this what i want to do what course corrections do i need to make in my life you know who are the closest people to me and so for a while i felt like i was crushing quarantine I'm like <laughs> quarantine and nothing for me you know yeah you, I, you were waking up at you know crack ass at dawn I to, was. to run and i was do all this stuff and yeah. you were
1: preparing for like the marathon and everything. i was
0: i was the most fit i've ever been in quarantine i actually had like one ab like mm. the left upper ab it was there <laughs> um but You know to be really open and vulnerable i got um diagnosed with add last last year Mm -hmm. and the reason why i even went to go get assessed is because you know i was making these mistakes at work that seemed to be not up to my like uh intelligence it was just like missteps you know so i talked with a colleague at that time and uh, he recommended uh, maybe i should see someone so i did and i got you know prescribed medication and i think that medication was part of what um made me spiral, like I'd wake up in the morning to work out at 4.30 and I've never really slept well. So that was like the thing that made me awake. So my sleep was shortened and you know, when someone has like mania like or hypomania even, they might get four hours or five hours or two or none uh, hours of sleep and feel rested. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of me. So it was giving me this like false feeling of being restful and awake. Um, so that on the backdrop of having say two to 300 patients swimming in my mind from the work that i do as a psychiatric nurse practitioner and the weight of that responsibility the partial administration um aspect of my job and then the stuff going on in my house dude like you said having to just be with one person all the time it, it was very stressful um my wife she's now um staying home apparently you make more as a a babysitter than you do as a full-time social worker <laughs> so we decided money-wise it didn't make sense for her to go to work if we're gonna just be paying a babysitter more mm-hmm. and uh so she had that added stress of now being home with the three kids a big transition because for her being a social worker was everything you know just yeah, like you yeah. and uh i was working extra hours to make up for her not working just a lot of like silly fights at home that were about nothing but there were something deeper right mm-hmm. like You know, we'd have these fights over if I bought something that I didn't discuss with her first or, um, you know, if I didn't tell her I was going to do something and I put it in the schedule and I did the thing, it would always be a thing. Um, And it just really spiraled over the past like two months where I was just getting angry and agitated and just like yelling all the time and just. uh,
1: And, And that's not somebody you 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 were.
0: No, no, I'm not that guy. And and what I always say is especially if my wife was mad at me, I'm like, how is it that everybody else loves me? You know, like everyone, <laughs> you know, I'm like you. Like, I can't, I'm, I've never heard one person even whisper a bad thought about it. Like, even, even... <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's many people that hate I me. Oh, it's called minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and it was just so frustrating because on the outside, I was functioning. At work, I was never a problem. My friends, never a problem. But at home, you know, my wife and I, we hadn't been in therapy before. Um, I was actually in therapy since, I've been in therapy since last October to work on something um it was actually more of a personal family issue that I was starting to go to therapy for but we started working on that but then it became other things Mm -hmm. you know um and it's been great you know and uh going to like normalizing mental health for me um I feel like having a therapist is kind of like having a coach but for your mind right like no one bats an eye if someone does remote coaching for CrossFit you know at the gym and they're in the corner like a weirdo just lifting by themselves and it it is weird right
1: because like it's easier to follow advice from a total stranger than it is to be vulnerable to your closest friends. A hundred percent. You know, because a, a total stranger can be objective for you sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, having this therapist, she's been amazing. Really uh, has helped me with a lot of breakthroughs. I mean, my, my one big if I can change anything about me, I wouldn't change my past. But if I could change anything about me, it's that I could be more assertive, mm-hmm. that I can say what I want to say when I want to say it. Like if you asked me to do something for you and I really didn't want to do it, I'm like, all right, I, I got you. But then the day comes and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this thing. You I know? hope he cancels. <laughs> yeah. Or or just like so, either being passive or very aggressive, you know, which is like the New Jersey motto, uh, go F yourself. Yeah. Right? So I'd go zero to 60, you know. Um, but yeah, like during this, uh, I was getting so agitated that it came to the point where my wife was telling me either you get help or I'm going to make you get help, you know. And, and
1: as a social worker, I'm sure she saw some signs and being your wife for, you know, 10 plus years, she knows you probably better than you know yourself and she can recognize those subtle changes in your personality and in in, in your behavior and she sees it as being, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, toxic. And she's like, you know what, let me, let me catch this before things get
0: worse. Right. You know, I got to tell you one, I think the hardest part about it is because it, the hardest part about it is that um, it looked like mania, hypomania. Mm-hmm. But it also started around the time of wanting to do this project. So then that became a source of contention, too. It's because, like, I felt like I really needed to do this. I felt really called to do this. I didn't want to get that twisted as, like, oh, this is a mania thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, or this is just, like, something where he's losing it. You know? Um, so we fought about it a lot. Like, um, my wife, she's she's very much, like, a family excuse me family oriented she can stay home she you know she doesn't have to go anywhere but for me i'm very social and i want to do stuff so like i'm always planning something i'm always doing something um so this was just another thing that was getting put on the family plate and with this also comes all right so now you have this time locked away so i have to be with the kids during this time so i didn't really see it before as every time i do something it takes away from her or gives her a responsibility so um you know, in terms of seeking help, I was already at the point where it wasn't like I could just see a psychiatrist or, or a therapist, I had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to the hospital was a jarring experience. I I, I had like several panic attacks before going in. Uh, she, my wife had told me she was gonna meet me there. And uh, when I got there and I called her, she did, her phone was off or went straight to voicemail. I had the worst panic attack, I can't even tell you. Like, I felt like I was locked up in a box like out in the open I was outside you, you drove yourself to that hospital? I did okay. I did and so you know they assessed me uh there and you know again being a nurse practitioner and I've worked in a psych R ER before so I know the drill and uh you know having everything taken away from me having someone sit with me on a one-to-one to watch me because that's protocol for anything and you know typically anybody that's going there for a mental health reason they're putting on a one-to-one uh, which is where you have a nurse's aide sit with you the entire time um, you know, so being there like that was just, it was jarring. It was just like, I didn't see that my life was going to get any better after this. Well, how did you take that knowing
1: that that person that's watching you is to make sure that you don't hurt yourself?
0: Yeah, it, that was, uh, it was humbling. It was mm-hmm. really humbling. It was like, wow, this is, this is what they go through, right? Because being a mental health nurse practitioner, it was always me, them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't us you know it wasn't we're all dealing with it. i would kind of say things that sounded a little bit more like inclusive like we're all in this together but in the back of my mind it was always me and them. Mm-hmm. um but now it's like this is us <laughs> this, yeah. this is you know um yeah firsthand
1: knowledge of what it's like to you know go inside a psyche er and for them to give you a a little paper smock and say hey strip naked and just
0: put this on oh dude even your underwear yeah i'm like you give me one gown i was like at least give me a second gown you know (laughs) there's a draft in here. (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i mean i stayed in a stretcher for two days and 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 then doing what i do i told them flat out i cannot go to a hospital in new jersey like i i serve like two three hundred patients in new jersey i don't know if i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna bump into somebody Mm -hmm. you know whether it's the facility I'm familiar with, I could get hired at in the future or a patient, you know, and I don't want that. So, uh, luckily my, my therapist, she's amazing. She referred me to this, uh, hospital out in Connecticut and, um, and that's where they took me. So I had a, I took an ambulance out there like they had to take me in an ambulance. Wow. That's a long wreck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was there for seven days and for the first time got got put on uh, medications. So mood stabilizing medication. You know, and it it wasn't until then that I realized, oh, my gosh, this is totally like a biological thing. You know, for sure. I talked to my dad and he says, uh, you know, uh, your anger issues, your irritability. You know, this is just your temper. It runs in your family. I have it. Your father has it. uh, My father had it. And your uncles did this. Your cousin did this. I can't even speak of those things because they're very (laughs) aggressive things. And I'm like, oh, so it's kind of like when you have alcoholism in your family, it's kind of like when you have depression in your family, I just have that temperament. And uh, once I got my medications, I was just like, I feel so much more calm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, did you still continue taking the Adderall? Or are you still taking the Adderall? So what they did was they they lowered my dose in the hospital mm-hmm. um, to just like 10 milligrams, which is like nothing. Um, but I find that even that's helpful for me because I do struggle with the attentional thing. I've always have since school, but... My mom, when I was a kid, she used to give me uh, coffee <laughs> as a kid. And I remember I, I was getting homes, not homeschool, but I used to have a teacher that would come and uh, help me out with certain subjects because I was really struggling. And the teacher said, why do you give him coffee? She's like, it helps him to focus. Yeah. You know, I never got treated. It wasn't it wasn't in a, I never got assessment. But I would always tell patients um, I do this little trick with patients who are adults. And I, I asked them, um, what was your worst subject in school? And what I do is I write the word math on a piece of paper and then they tell me math and then I show them the piece of paper. They're like, how did you know? So in math, it's multi-step, right? So you have uh, the person who maybe failed the last test and wants to focus on this new uh, lesson. So they're like really intent on this uh, first part of the equation and then the next part and then squirrel, (laughs) you know, and by the time you're back on track, they're already at part six, seven of that step. And now... It's too late to ask. It's yeah. embarrassing. I was in Bobo Math. Bobo Math in our school was when you were a senior, but you're in class with like freshmen and juniors uh, and, and sophomores.
1: Oh, yeah, so yeah, the, the complete opposite experience of, of me, where yeah. I was an AP cow. Yeah, no, no, year? no. wait a rub it in my face, man. <laughs> I'm depressed now.
0: Let me call somebody. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> well, the reason I asked about the whole Adderall is that what most people don't understand if if you don't truly have ADD or ADHD, and they place you on those kind of medications. Um, it'll have the counter effect where yeah. it's a, it's a like a cocaine upper, yeah. you know, so you're, you have all this energy um, where if you actually do have AD, um, ADD and ADHD, it you know,
0: it helps it you, slows focus. you down yeah, it slows you down. You can, and you can do one thing and stay on that one task. Yeah. For me, like I was always very much like into one thing or another, you know? Um, and, uh, and, but the, the, the tricky thing is treating someone who has like a, a bipolar disorder and, a, and, uh, ADD or ADHD mm-hmm. is like you're putting on them on two different medications. Yeah. So the, the mood stabilizer acts like a, uh, like an anchor, mm-hmm. but then you still have, you can still be treated for ADD or ADHD, but you have to be very mindful. And really what I see a lot of times too is in the field is you have medical doctors who kind of tinker in the psychiatry field and, and are not keen to that. So, I mean, I, I really do suggest that anyone who does that should, you know, see a psychiatrist or see a nurse practitioner who, who really knows the field, you know, cuz what i say is going to a medical doctor for like a psychiatric issue is like going to a mechanic to fix a dent in your car. Yeah. yeah. Right? Cuz they could do it, yeah. but it's not going to look as pretty as the as the body uh, shop. Yeah, most of the time like your medical doctor will just give you a prescription of, you know, medications, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, i went to go i love my medical doctor. He cuz he's very he has good bedside manner, very understanding. Even I saw him actually a week or two after I got out of the hospital, I was ashamed because he asked me if I was on any new medications. Mm-hmm. So I told him and he goes, oh, so what happened? And I told him, and he's actually, a uh, chi- uh, he's not, he's probably in his forties Chinese gentleman and, you know, culturally, not Culture, yeah. n- culturally, not like so expressive yeah. or, or warm, but he's like, oh, you must've really had a tough time. Like, are you, how are you doing? And I felt so like, wow, <laughs> this guy, you know, um, but uh i I remember seeing him when i felt i couldn't sleep very well he's like oh what do you want xanax ativan and i'm like whoa 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 whoa! you didn't even ask me if i have a substance abuse history Mm -hmm. i mean fortunately i don't you know but um those are heavy-duty drugs they are heavy-duty drugs any benzo um you could get hooked very
1: easily absolutely and then once once your tolerance goes up i mean the withdrawals are very dangerous where you know you have seizures. Yeah. You can die from them. So you have to, you know, go through a medical facility to, you know, go through the detox and rehab. So yeah. And you worked. you worked for, uh, yeah. which detox did you work for? So I worked for, uh, Arms Acres in Carmel, New York. Ah, yeah, yeah. I used to see patients from there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're right. on, sort of like on the, not the border of Jersey in New York, but you know, it's relatively easy to get to Jersey from uh, Carmel, New York. Um, so it, it's amazing, which is why this opiate epidemic, uh, is running rampant because doctors and dentists were just giving free, you know, prescriptions and, and refills for all these like oxys and, and roxys and, and, and all these other hardcore synthetic opiates.
0: And then once the refills stop, your body needs that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there are so many patients that they're seeing the attention to detail in each patient is going to be little. I mean, a patient can just call the facility or wherever and say, I need a refill. Mm-hmm. And if the doctor doesn't want to deal with it or whoever's prescribing doesn't want to deal with it, just send a refill. Yeah. But people need to be monitored. And I think there's just such a massive amount of patients out there with not enough practitioners to do the work that it's really easy for something to, to go awry.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, now you're hooked, right? You're hooked on opiates and you, you can try and buy them off the street and they're like $20, $30 a pill. And then someone says, Hey, why don't you just do heroin for uh, the same effect for $3 or cheaper. $5? Yeah. Yeah. Bag. Yeah. Yeah. And then you know, the fentanyl is, is, is now in the communities, which is like killing a lot of people who are using, um, uh, heroin. Um, so it, it it's just my, it just boggles my mind where people are, they thought they were, um, getting, better for you know maybe a surgery or whatever the case may be and then all of a sudden they come out with this addiction right and that was like i'm, I'm not i'm not gonna lie that was my biggest fear you know I, you know I, you know i was given you know opiates for after my surgery and i was like i'm gonna as soon as i can i'm gonna stop taking this i think i only took it for three or four days and mm. i was like i'm done i'm not taking it anymore yeah
0: yeah it could be very like um uh even that is like uh, stigmatizing right taking a medication that's controlled Mm -hmm. you know because the the fear is that could happen but i think it's great that you had the background that you had because you were aware the problem is many people are not aware yeah like for for me like in the the medications that i was taking i was very aware so much so that i was bucking with the doctor as to what he was going to prescribe me Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know um like you said people aren't aware like many times when we're when we have a headache or
1: whatever we take Tylenol maybe the dosage says, you know, take two and you know, some people take three. Like, ah, it doesn't matter. And you think you could do that with the synthetic opiates. And then you realize your tolerance is just going to get, you know, higher and higher. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so you had this,
0: was it an embarrassment of just letting him know of like. It was, it, it was a shame. It, it, it And especially coming out of the hospital, I felt like my life was broken. I, to be honest with you, that night that I got the, basically got the ultimatum. I mean, to go to the hospital or not, I just saw my life falling apart like you had said like oh you have everything you made it you know i saw my whole life crumble i'm gonna lose the house we're gonna get a divorce we're, we're gonna lose the kids that i gotta tell you i wasn't threatened with any of that my that was a cognitive distortion mm-hmm, that's like mm-hmm. the theme we should just rename this whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> that should be the title yeah but man, i gotta tell you like uh my wife is so dedicated to me i, I and and I, I don't say that in in like uh narcissistic way in, in any means, but like, she's so like ridiculously dedicated. And I think that comes from her faith. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, in, in uh, the Catholic faith, you know, you get, you married forever, you know, it's, uh, and you serve each other even in difficult times. And I, I, my, uh, I have a friend of mine who asked me to be, like, a godparent at his wedding. I don't know if, if in Spanish culture you guys sí, have this. Yeah. so a little bit younger than me, but him him and his wife asked myself and Arlene to be godparents for their wedding, and the priest, who actually was a friend of ours, is a friend of ours, he had said something along the lines of how uh, marriage is not 50-50, you know? Some days it's going to be 20-80. Some days it's going to be 0-100, you know? And for me, I think from, like, probably from trauma from past relationships. I have these distortions of like when things go wrong, I'm very one way or another, ah, it's going to be over. But we're 13 years in, you know, we have these kids, you know, and we've built all, you know, we've built this life. But in that moment, I was like, everything's going to be lost. The kids, the house. And I got to tell you, the panic I had over not having my kids in my life, it like, it felt like someone was like, like squeezing my heart, like going to break it, like pop it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I take my kids for granted, man. Like I go to work, and I don't think about, uh, this is probably, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean to be a terrible person, but like, I'm not sitting all day like, I have three kids at home. Lala, oh my God, I yeah, am so yeah. blessed. But then they'll pop into my mind. I'm like, oh, I have three freaking kids. <laughs> I'm going to see these three kids. And when I come home, they're like, daddy, and they're all running. Even the, even the, the one-year-old is running towards me. It is like the best feeling. So to have all of these ideas that all this is going to be taken away from me was just terrible. Mm-hmm. But, um, she is so dedicated to me, this woman, Arlene. She uh, she actually stayed with me on the stretcher, on the one-person stretcher for two days. Wow. Two days she laid with me on the stretcher. She didn't sit on the side of the bed. She laid on the stretcher with me the entire time and uh, and was so supportive. Like, prayed for me. We had our, Actually, we had our priest come. He gave me the... Uh, there's a special prayer that you pray for, the uh, right of the sick, and we did this special prayer or whatever um so she arranged you're, that for you're me. not talking about last rites are you <laughs> no, no, no but, uh, i hope he wasn't doing last right um but yeah father joey's really special to us um from east rutherford uh from saint joe's uh yeah so uh, I, we had that experience in the er she was the one that kind of coordinated me going to this facility in in uh in connecticut and man i gotta tell you it was beautiful it, that, that, that facility was really really nice um and it was like seven days of just positive affirmations and learning. Like mm. I learned more about DBT. And, if, you know, in the field, you heard, you learn yeah, about yeah, dialectical yeah. behavioral therapy and, and cognitive behavioral therapy. But then to really be immersed in it, you know, um, I do know that I need help with dialectics. Dialectics is this kind of um, something can be two things. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's not like our relationship is excellent or it's terrible. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, sometimes our relationship is terrible and it hurts, but sometimes it's great, you and, know?
1: And that's one of the major cognitive distortions, right? The black or white thing. Yes. Right. That, yeah. It's, you know, I, I, failed at this, so I'm a failure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's either all or nothing. And, um, and it, life isn't that way. No, you know, no. You, you said it, you know, beautifully in, in a relationship, um, it's not always going to be, you know, 50, 50, you know, I'm going to have better days than, um, Minita with, you know, my girlfriend and she's going to have better days than me. Right. And it's sort of our responsibility to pick up the slack where we, we notice that there is slack mm. and, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, inspector gadget, you know, we're not always going to be in tuned to that, uh, which is why communication is important. Like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm having a rough day today. Mm. Like mentally, I'm just not here. Can you can you do a little bit more today? Can you you know walk the dog more? Can you do the dish? You know whatever the case may be. Um, And 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 I think you know we're afraid to speak up a little bit because we don't want to put more onto our loved ones than is necessary. But I think it's important for um, people to recognize sometimes our cup is empty and. We need a day, you know, everyone's entitled to a day, right? Just to like ease back into it, eat comfort, um, eat comfort food. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm, huge on comfort right. food, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling down. I'm getting a, a plate of rice and beans and some kind of uh, steak. <laughs> that is my comfort food. And uh, obviously potato chips and <laughs> ice cream, um, you know, so I, you know, to, you know, to your credit, I think, uh, you know, knowing that you have a,
0: a teammate, right, that is going to help you pick up the slack yeah and she definitely did I mean I, I think um, I, I, in the hospital I was so focused on myself I didn't I didn't think about anybody I didn't think about I mean I did think about my family you know I had like uh, picture books of them and things like that but I just wanted to focus on getting myself better because how can I how can I do what I do I mean now I'm the sole breadwinner right so how, how are we gonna upkeep this life if I'm not together mm-hmm. how am I gonna um, be a good husband how am I gonna be a good father you know, so I really did focus on that while I was in there. And I had some really cool experiences, man. Uh, when I first got there, it was all kids between like 18 and like 22. So mm. I'm like the old man, you know. <laughs> um, so everything I said was just like, oh, that's so old man cringy. Okay, boomer. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, you know, there, there were two particular people that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, there was one woman. So in the morning, I went to go get uh, milk for my coffee in the fridge. And I hear, good morning. So I just turned my turned my body and my face towards where I heard the voice directed. But when I looked, the face was like three feet above from where I was looking. <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit, you're tall." <laughs> and then she was cracking up. And I just couldn't stop laughing because I really thought the voice would be projected lower. So anyway, this person's name was Kay. And uh, she just sensed it every time I was in a down spot because I would have these like periods in the hospital where I just feel so hopeless um, just that I would never get my life back on track. Like I've built all this and now the distortion was I've built this life and now I can't keep it. Mm. That was the distortion. Um, and I'm never going to get back to normal. How can I serve people if I can't even, you know, get my my head straight? And she had like a million quotes that she made up herself and she actually gave me like a five- five-page back-and-front, like, handout of all these quotes that she had made. And then she'd just walk up to me, and she's like, what are you thinking right now? And I would tell her, and she would just give me one of the quotes from her thing. Anyway, uh, one day, one of my big problems in the hospital was patients knew what I did because mm-hmm. we were asked, you know, in, in groups or whatever. You, you were like the... The practicing attorney in jail. Everyone's coming <laughs> right. to you like, hey, what can you do about yeah. my case? And I got to tell you, they they hated it. Uh, it, it but me, like, I mean, they're asking me. They're asking me, like, what this medication's for because everyone's getting put on these medications. Um. So actually, Kay, at one time, she saw that that was happening and she knew that I was uh, having a hard time, like, not doing that. Yeah. So she came and talked to me and then she had said something along the lines of, like, yeah, I know how hard it is. Like, I've been fighting with this body for the last... Forty something years, and, and it just won't act the way I wanted to act. And I didn't know what she was talking about, but then she had revealed to me that she was transgendered. Mm. And at that moment in time, you know, I realized I didn't—I don't have any transgendered um, uh, close personal friends in my life. Not because I don't want any; it's just that I haven't come across that uh, people of that persuasion, you know, within my circles that I that I walk for whatever reason. Um, not because of any other reason than that, and. I just felt so much love from her that I realized, man, like this is a community that I'm getting so much from right now that I have not given anything to, you know, there was no reason for her to be so kind to me. And, uh, and I actually told her, I had no idea that you were transgender and she was like, I'm glad you said that that makes me feel so good because I feel validated about my experience, you know? So she was amazing. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget her. She also played the guitar, really really well oh, wow. yeah so she would uh when we would have lunch or dinner she would bring the guitar down to the cafeteria and she would play um and she was another patient or she was a staff no member? she was a staff member okay. there yeah she's a staff member there and then uh another staff member there her name was uh miss carol she was a african-american woman i'm not sure where she i think she lived actually in connecticut too but uh she was the best like she was really like a tough almost like <laughs> a <laughs> like a warden jail kind of type and uh she was very supportive of me on the last day i was there she is like, listen, listen, a month from now, I want you to write a letter to Miss Carol and let her know how you're doing. All right. I want to see you with that family. All right. All right. Much love. Much mm-hmm. love. And she would do this thing where she crossed her arms like Wakanda forever. Every time. <laughs> She's, did you ever write that letter? No, but I did buy her a CD that I have to send her. So a lot. Of, uh, so if anyone knows anything about psych units, groups get canceled all the freaking time because of whatever reason. It's ter- really terrible um we were supposed to have a, a, a group led by a volunteer but the volunteer didn't show up there should be repercussions for that i think if a volunteer doesn't show up but anyway so i was like hey guys why don't we just like pick a youtube video of a song that we like and just pass around the remote control and we'll just watch a video of a song that we like or we want people to hear so i played something from brian mcknight oh boy <laughs> yeah and then miss carol miss carol she uh she walks over, she's like, oh, ooh, is that Brian McKnight? Oh, man, I remember in 92 when I went to go see him in New York City, mm, that was a good night. <laughs> so I was like, hey, hey, Miss Carol, what happened in New York, 1992? Well, she's like, oh, oh, sound, you're going to get me in trouble? You you better <laughs> shut the hell up. You can get me in trouble. So I bought her Brian McKnight's greatest hits. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to send it to her. Uh, her. Her birthday, I think, is a couple of days before Christmas. Mm. But, I mean, I gained so much from that experience. Like, I had asked you a little bit earlier, like, uh, you know if you can go back and change things would you i wouldn't take that uh, you couldn't pay me to take away the past like 6 months I, it it just it really kind of just uh, showed Arlene and i you know in our marriage like we haven't been communicating you know we've been mind reading thinking what thinking that the other person thinks that we know what we need yeah. you know and which is not the case and we did experience this in the beginning of our marriage you know like it ended up being oh we're going to take care of these bills we live in this home we come like roommates You know, and and, uh, we did go on a retreat that helped us back in the day called Retrovi. It's like this retreat, like if you're on the brink of a divorce, go on this retreat. Mm -hmm. And we were there at like the two-year mark. Um, But since then, like we hadn't really had a problem until more recently. And uh, it just like really hit me like, wow, we really need to communicate. So now we're doing therapy. And therapy isn't always easy, man. I
1: I know therapy in itself has a stigma, right? People want to go to therapy because they feel like they're admitting that they're they have a problem or um there's a stigma of 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 not having control of your life but in relationships I, I mean marital counseling is probably like one thing that across the board those who have experienced um you know therapy in their marriage they recommend like from the very beginning like everyone's like do it you have
0: to i you know i i, t- I make this joke um, so I, I am a male identifying as a male a straight male I do identify as this um, but but wouldn't it be so much easier to just marry a dude like you just you want to watch a comedy yeah let's watch a stand up comedy bro like uh, you want to you want to like go to the gym and lift some weights yeah you want to max out hell yeah let's max out today it would be so much easier I'm just but it doesn't it, it doesn't entice me that's not what I like but you know what's funny like we all think we want
1: like someone who's similar to us but that will never work. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) there's a reason why two magnets can't, you know, they repel each other, you know, like opposites do attract in some sense, like obviously not total opposites because then there's really nothing to, to discuss, but there's always like a balance. Yeah. You know, if, if two people are always on, you know, how can you, you know, you know, root yourself and, 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 and the relationship and think, in a rational way when yeah. you both are like yeah you know idealistic and yeah. I, I have these dreams yeah great and then like nothing happens yeah. because one person's not
0: holding the other one a- accountable you know and that's actually the case with Arlene and I I, I kind of look at um I kind of look at Arlene like uh, like the little girl holding the balloon but mm-hmm. I'm the balloon yeah like she keeps me grounded because otherwise I would get my hands in a, in a million different things so now actually I, I think with our dynamic it's helped me to focus on like what do I really want to do so I have a few things. So this podcast is one. Uh, the gym stuff is something we're gonna continue, and I'm trying to learn piano. I have three things, nothing more, nothing less. I don't need anything else to focus on, and uh, but I do need to have my social, you know, outings here mm-hmm. and there. Um, so, so
1: what, what do you feel like is the major difference now from you today? compared to you, you know, three or four months ago?
0: Oh man, I, I think uh, three to four months ago, I was just so easily angered. Mm. It was like I was a raw nerve all the time. Um, sleep has always been a problem for me, but it was definitely more of a problem in the past like four to five months. And I would do all the things. You know, all this like self-care stuff, like take the warm bath, do, <laughs> I freaking, I, I actually like dabbled in incense for a little bit, like made sure it was at my bedside, but then Arlene didn't like the smell in the, in the bedroom. Mm. Um, uh, started doing yoga before bedtime all this stuff um but going back to the hospital and learning about cbt i mean they talked about cbt in the bio physical uh, bio psychosocial so the biology piece like my biology just needs to have this kind of medication to calm me down at least at this point in my life mm-hmm. i don't know if i'm going to be on medication forever um but I'm grateful but, and, that... And,
1: and there's just to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no. and there's nothing wrong with it at all.
0: Yeah. There's not, You know, I appreciate um, if, if anyone watched um, the David Letterman, uh, My Next Guest, or you may know My Next Guest, or My Next Guest is, Something like whatever that, yeah. it is on Netflix, he actually interviews Kanye West. Mm. Did you see it? No, I didn't see that one, no. So at one point, uh, David, he's a great interviewist, by the way. I actually watched a couple of episodes just so I could be more prepared for this. <laughs> um He says to Kanye West, uh, you know, what's going on with your mental health? I know you were taking medications and all this kind of stuff. So Kanye says, I'm actually not on medications right now. And the whole crowd starts clapping. And he goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me just be clear. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with medications. I'm just saying I'm okay right now, and these are the types of therapies that I'm doing. But if I needed therapy, if I needed uh, medication, I would go back. I just don't need it right now.
1: Yeah, and I think... uh people confuse you know medication as a as as a fix all right like oh i'm taking medications i'm great like they you know psychologically and, and and in our field medication management should go hand in hand with some kind of talk therapy for sure you know because you know medication isn't going to cure everything right just like uh if you're a diabetic and you take you know metformin or or insulin that's not gonna you know cure all all your diabetes you still have to take care of your diet you know be active there's other things you have to do on top of the medications the medication is just one piece of it for sure um so i i think people should be understanding like you know you should be talking as well as taking these medications because that's what's really the ideal um uh you know solution to whatever issue that you're experiencing
0: right and it's it's really about getting you towards that higher part of the continuum of mental health right yeah in, uh, I actually I had this uh, this one patient of mine that uh, I've been seeing for almost a year. I, I rarely get to see patients for a whole year, but she stayed in the program, and uh, she's a teenager, really depressed, really anxious. Uh, she was struggling with obesity, and she was using food as a comfort. Hmm. You know, very uh, difficult uh, for her to socialize and things like that. And so I had her on Prozac. I had her on 10 milligrams, and then I bumped up to 20 because we weren't seeing that much benefit. And at 20, she was doing better. Um, but then, uh, her living situation changed. Something was going on with her parents. So she went to move with her, uh, her aunt, but she continued therapy also. But her aunt really like militantly got her into exercise, got her into eating better. She got a nutritionist. And so she's still in the 20 milligrams of Prozac, but she is a different person today. She lost 70 pounds, wow. happy. You could see even in her face, mind you, I'm seeing her on zoom. You could even see in her <laughs> face, like. Her face is cleared up. She's smiling. Her affect is bright. So I talked to her yesterday. I said, hey, why don't we lower the prospect to 10 and see how you do? Because not everyone needs to be on a medication forever. So what I like to do is have, if I can see the person for a year uh, and they're stable on their medications, they've been on them for a while, see if they don't need them anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because it could have been the situation. And uh, for me, I think if COVID never happened, I don't think this would have happened. Mm. But I think it was the culmination of like the family stress, um, some financial stress, but not so much uh, uh, work stress. And, and and then also a big piece was the social aspect. Like for me, I was just like you in terms of the CrossFit gym was my social outlet. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't really schedule too much time socially outside of CrossFit because every class I was going with my friends. Yeah. And uh, once quarantine hit and I built this gym, I, I mentioned to Freddie, I actually had a conversation with Freddie. I was like, should I cancel my gym membership, man? I see you're, you're working. You're working out at home and you're killing it. And he's like, "Yeah, man, it's the best." You're like a lone wolf, and you know you, <laughs> you get mentally tough. I am no Freddy. Freddie is a different
1: beast <laughs> mentally. <laughs> yeah. His resting heart rate is lower it's than, like than Chuck Norris. Yeah. It,
0: <laughs> when Freddie does a push up, he pushes the world yeah, down. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, actually, I had the pleasure of talking to him the other day, and you know, I mentioned to him, I "Was like, I realized, man, I'm not like you in that way. I am a social creature. Like that's just how I am." And I think being cut off, like. When when I'm not social, when you're not social, it's like how do you get feedback on how you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because if it's just my wife telling me, I'm like, you know, sc- screw you. Like everyone else likes me. What you know? What's the problem? But but also me and you, we work out for different reasons. Freddie can work out by himself and still crush the
1: competition. Yes, <laughs> any for class sure. wide for sure. You know, he doesn't need. He's like a Matt Fraser, right? Like, yeah. You know the totally. He can work out by himself, knowing that I can step into any class wide <laughs> and I <laughs> and will just be top demolish, two. <laughs> regardless. Demolish, regardless. Like me and you, like. You know, we do this for fun. Yeah, we do it for fun just to enjoy, you yeah. know?
0: And then the best is, like, the post-wad chat. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, just to sit with people afterwards and like, oh, that that workout was miserable. What was funny was being so far away from that, I actually criticized myself. I'm like, oh, stupid CrossFit and, like, the the BS, like, talking about workouts. Like, anytime I saw someone who was doing CrossFit while I was still working out at home, it was like, oh, I did this crazy workout today. That, 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 that. I'm like, I didn't ask you what <laughs> 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 workout you did. You know, yeah. but... That's such a part of the culture you know that's how like when you tell someone that it's because you have that connection yeah and so i was really missing that connection i was really missing that feedback of like you know no one was asking me how i was doing no mm. one was saying hey you look down today or wow like your, your lips don't look good today. You want, do you want to talk about it like no one was doing that um so i think that's why I, I rejoined the gym um not so much because i needed it for fitness but i just needed it for the social aspect and that you know, I had a journal with me when I was in the hospital and I made a whole bunch of things that I wanted to change about my life, you know, after leaving there. And that was one of them was join join the gym. And, you know, it uh, didn't really matter necessarily which gym, but most of my friends are, are going to um, the gym I'm going to now. So I'm there and I'm so much happier that way, you know, and uh, I get teased about my chair that I bring out every time. <laughs> you know? But that's part of it. Like, I enjoy being teased yeah, yeah, about yeah. that, you know. Yeah. So... Yeah. So I think the the big difference now is that um, I think I have a lot more uh, lived empathy Mm -hmm. for the patients I speak with, you know, you know, whether it's Zoom or in person. Like now I'm very I'm even more careful about what I say and how I say it. Yes. Yeah. Words.
1: Words matter. As my good friend always tells me, words definitely matter. Tone matters. Right. Um, I think we we take for granted in generalizing a lot of our statements and not really and 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 you know saying stuff like oh man that's crazy or oh man I'm, like you said i'm depressed, I'm depressed and Wednesday. Yeah, yeah and not realizing that those words hold a lot of weight for certain people and um just being mindful and respectful to you know not generalize your vocabulary and really explain what you mean like oh you know um I, i'm um, I feel overwhelmed that it's that it's Wednesday. I wish it was Friday. Instead of saying you know I'm depressed, you know, uh, right? So it, it's just a matter of just tweaking some you know cognitive things and, and tweaking language because I think you know language is so important because that's the only way we can really communicate. That's the only way we could, could we can communicate to each other, right? So if I tell you something, you're not in my head to know what kind of tone or what or what I really mean behind that. Right. You're gonna take it at face value. Right. Oh, okay, yeah you know, unless I'm doing like a Chandler Bing like a, a <laughs> tone and you right, realize right. I'm being sarcastic. Right. Right. Um, But, you know, talking to one another is is probably like a central theme of, you know, of our mental health struggles where we we didn't really reach out to someone. And even though in our field, we know how important it is to reach out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so now that you're in a more stable position, what do you want people to do for you when when you are in that cusp of, you know, depression, um, you know, instability. Like,
0: what is it that you feel like would would help you pull out of that of that ditch? You know, it's tough. I, I really don't know because it depends. You know, on 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 the moment. There was a time, probably about three weeks ago. So now I'm doing this like outpatient therapy, right? So I have to now I'm going three times a week, three hours a day, but it's all virtual. But initially they do partial, right? So once you get this discharged from a hospital. You do a partial hospitalization program, six hours a day, five days a week. And there was one day I was really annoyed or angry or upset about something. And I just sat in the couch like a, like a, like a spoiled toddler. Like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, I don't want to talk, you know? And so Arlene says, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, do you want to eat? No. Do you want (laughs) to, do do you want to do this? No. What can I do for you? I don't know. Do you want to play the piano? Like, yeah, I'll try that. (laughs) And so it's funny because when I was in the hospital, they had a grand piano, uh, in like the lobby, and I don't really know how to play piano, but if I can hear something easy, I can, they call it widow it, right? Like you can kind of figure it out a little bit. So I, I can do that, because I have some music background. Um, so when she said play the piano, I'm like, yeah, try, all right, I'll try that. And I noticed like, this is actually super soothing, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's, I'm still in the process of trying to learn like what is gonna help me when I feel that way. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do have now, because in, in DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, there's a skill called TIP, So if you feel like your distress level is so high, these are the things that you would do if you get that distress level because talking at that point is not going to be helpful. If you're super angry or if I'm super angry, there's no use of talking to anyone because it's just going to be an explosion. So with tip, it it means uh, temperature, intense exercise, uh, and uh, and, uh, something about breathing. I can't remember how tip, whatever, but it's breathing. Um, So you know, either having an ice pack and actually in the hospital, like I saw some of the patients like putting ice packs on their necks Mm. because they were struggling with mood instability in that way. Uh, but for intense exercise, I actually put up my punching bag outside. So it's sitting out there. So if I ever get really upset, that's where I got to go. Um, or the breathing. Um, I remember one day when I was really, really upset prior to the hospital, I really wanted to like let loose on something, but I couldn't see myself picking up my punching bag. Putting it on the rig, <laughs> you know, and so I just like yelled, you know, and, and yelled so much that like my throat was it, I couldn't talk for like days. So it's like knowing that I have these like backups in case, you know, like where if it's if I'm not at that level where I'm so upset, I can play the piano and chill out. Or if I'm that upset, then I have the punching bag. I have treadmill and, you know, weights here if I really want. Um, but, but I think the, the the takeaway from that is
1: understanding what tools help you to come back down from you know whatever you're feeling, whether it's intense anxiety, intense depression, intense whatever? Yeah, like you know that certain things you can do to, you know to 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 bring you back down and, and stabilize you. You know.
0: Just because you know the piano worked one day, it may not it might, work. Yeah, you're you know? right. So sometimes like, it can be really frustrating, especially if I'm learning something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta know when to step away. Like I'm my teacher, I don't know who he thinks I am, but he gave me this homework and I'm like, dude, I'm struggling, man. <laughs> but um I think too with, with friends and things like that, when friends reach out, uh I think it's a free-for-all. Like I I really did appreciate there were so many people that texted me and like and just reached out because man, I am I, really guilty of this and, and it's kind of embarrassing, but like I, I am, I am how I feel on social media. You know, like I don't, I don't feel like I put out like this. Um, my brother says this, that I put out like a Norman Rockwell painting vibe. Like I, like my life looks so great and I don't intentionally do that. But also when I'm not feeling good, you'll see it too. And mm. and it's obvious, you know, I posted a picture a couple of weeks ago on like my story uh, me smoking a cigarette with a leather jacket on yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I said 2020, am I right? <laughs> you know how many people like cursed me out like what the fuck are you doing? Why are you smoking? And I'm like, go fuck yourselves. I'm just having a moment, you know? But all these people that reached out are people that cared about me, you know? Um, and it was so overwhelming the people that reached out to me that I drafted a PDF and saved it on my phone. I got that letter, yeah. Did, did you get that letter? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah, it was so overwhelming. I couldn't, I just, when I got out of the hospital, it was so much like the but it was a good problem to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I knew that like these people that I was sending this PDF to they even had a signature made it look professional. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, and, I, and I think it, it um even in,
1: in everyday relationships, it's better to tell someone, hey, listen, I like say, you know, your wife sends you a text message. Right. It's better to answer it. Hey, I'm a little bit busy right now. I'll answer you in a, in a bit instead of opening it, reading it, and never, and don't acknowledge right, it, right? Right, right, So, like, right. people appreciate, like, tell, like, listen, I, you know, I, I saw your message. Just give me a few, and I'll answer it when I'm ready. Because then, like, okay, you acknowledge my message, and you'll, you'll, you
0: know, you'll come back to me. Well, you know, that's a good question. That's a good, that brings up something interesting to me, because I never asked anyone how they felt when they received that from me. Like... So, I, I mean, what, like I said, I, there's things I I take things, uh, you know,
1: lightheartedly, right? So, you know, I, I get it and I'm like, oh crap, you know, I feel like I, I got it from the, from the Oval Office or something. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, and then, you know, it came with your signature and everything. <laughs> I, I'm, you're going to have to invest in letterhead <laughs> after this. Um, but I, I, but it made me feel better that you acknowledge that I reached out to you and you basically said, I'll reach out to you when I'm ready. Mm. So I, That for me, I felt like I. It's gonna sound really bad, but I'm off the hook now. I reached out to you. I did my part as a friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, you didn't um, answer. You know, with like you know how you're feeling, whatever. You you answer pretty much saying you know any time. So now the ball's in your court. And now I feel like I don't have to constantly like... takes the pressure off of you. Yeah, and I don't have to like be on top of you. Like, hey, Sal, what's up? You know, why didn't you answer me? You know, over and over and over again. Or yeah, yeah. And then I start thinking, did I say something wrong? Did yeah, I do yeah. something wrong? Does, does Does he think, you know, I'm not his friend? Like, then you start questioning yourself. Yeah. But the fact you sent me that, it put me at ease. I was like, all right. And I think you reached out to me maybe like, you know, a few days after that. Uh, or you tagged me on a meme or something. Like, okay, he's good. He's probably. He's, probably good. he's good. He's probably good. He's good. good. Um, so I, I think uh, just like... and I. Th- you know, acknowledging is is so important. Like, just acknowledge your you know your friends reach out to you because you have that that guilt when you when you love someone as a friend or, or as a romantic uh, person. You like you want to make sure that they that they know you're there for them. So you know, acknowledging like yes, I, I I see that you you care about me and just give me a moment to to take a breath yeah. and and I feel like we should be open minded to that where people sometimes. They don't need to answer your questions immediately. Right. Yeah. Like Some people need time to really um, think and think clearly instead of giving you some BS, uh, you know, answer or, or, you know, some kind of template, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, I didn't know how that was going to be received, but I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to have to text the same thing to different people. So I yeah. was like, let me part of it, me putting it in that PDF and making it look professional is like, all right. He's spelling his grammar's okay. He's putting a letterhead like he has a sense about him. You know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. part of it was that. But um yeah, I, I don't think that, I don't think I've ever felt more loved than after the hospital. Even my dad. You know, my dad is. Have you ever heard of the five love languages? Yeah. So his love language is gift giving. If I had a fever as a twelve year old <laughs> on the couch and I couldn't move, oh, you want to go to the mall? You want to go to the arcade? Like that because that's what he does. Mm-hmm. So and my dad, you know, he's not a rich man. Like he's struggling. You know, as of right now. Um, And uh, he bought me an espresso machine. Oh, wow. Dude, that thing is amazing. And he gave me like two months worth of coffee. But that's like the way he showed love. So now I'm having that every day. So it reminds me. And then also, I feel like this crisis has really shown me like who's really, who's really, really there. And Mm -hmm. it's not like if you're not really there, screw you. But it's just like I know who I have as confidants. Like if I have someone, if I need someone to go to. You know, especially after you and I talking today, I know I have another person to go to. I mean, we
1: we throw around the term friend loosely and freely in our society. For sure. Facebook, Instagram, like, oh, ad friend or whatever. Like, you do not have 300 friends. (laughs) No. So let's be clear on what friend means. Right. And I think people feel they may feel icky, like being called an acquaintance, but that's who you are. right? Right. Like, don't feel bad if not everyone's going to think you're their friend. Like you are an acquaintance for someone. You are a work co, uh, a coworker, right? Like you aren't always going to be a friend to someone. And like, and I think people should be okay with that. Like, listen, I, you know, my friends. And when you say friends, you actually mean it. Like my friends are the people that, um, I know will be by my side, you know, through whatever. And acquaintances are the people that, you know, share memes with me or, 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 you know, whatever the case may be. So, I think, you know, this experience, you know, with with our mental health struggles, we realize, you know, I was putting too much weight on acquaintances and, and giving them too much credit on not being a good friend when that wasn't their role. No, their role no. is not a friend. No. And then I minimized my friends thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, I need I don't need you because I, I, already, I already back in my mind. I already know you're there. I need, you know, X, Y, and Z to, to be there for me, but yeah. I don't need them. Yeah. You know, I need my core people. You for know? sure.
0: And I think, um, like, like the big, big takeaway for me now is like, uh, I feel that there's so much I have, I, I want to do in the mental health field. I, I have no idea what it is. You know, um, I don't want to have like this grand plan or create this like crazy idea about what, how I want to impact mental health. I mean, I got to do my job and, yeah. and, and with passion and I love my job. Like the time goes by so quick. Every interaction, even if it's zoom, we're able to, I'm able to you know kind of facilitate that interaction well um, but it's funny like I was on my wife's phone and, and just like looking at old pictures and actually she took a picture of me going into the ambulance right and uh, that was not like a moment that I really wanted to remember yeah so I, I asked her, but like not in anger I was just curious like why was that picture taken And she said to me, I don't know. I just feel like you're supposed to do something in the future, and I feel like this could be a part of your story. I don't know, maybe a book or something. Like, she, like, like, maybe a book. I don't even like reading, you know? <laughs> but, like, I do want to do something to impact mental health in some way, even if it's in a small way, um, you know, just beyond seeing patients. And part of that is the reason for this podcast, right? I mean, it is mental health-focused, and it's, it's going to reach – it's, it's heavy stuff. It's, you yeah, know? It, is, it is heavy stuff. This is not like entertaining, funny. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But I think it also, um, I, I'm sure there's other men out there who are feeling like this and just haven't been able to connect with anybody about it. So they just feel like they're alone. Maybe they feel like they're crazy because they have these feelings, mm-hmm. you know? But to know that, you know, two guys who are, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's overreaching to say two guys who are well liked, you know, in, yeah. in the community and who are doing good things in the community are struggling too, that it's okay if they're struggling. And now that they know that it's okay... They can reach out to someone who they feel is that good friend, not that acquaintance, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, man, it's been a journey, and I'm, I'm glad I was able to talk to you about it and put it down on on uh, recording.
1: You know, it's funny, like you know, just I didn't know what to expect, you know, uh, doing do, uh, you know doing this, but um, it it flew by, like you know, like I it felt like we were just having a regular conversation with a little uh, sprinkle of our career and and and, and our you know jargon. Um, but otherwise I, I feel like what we spoke about is what any common individual in our similar shoes, um, can relate to. And, uh, you know, it's not as sexy or funny as, uh, other podcasts, uh, episodes, but, um, that's the point, right? Like we don't want to talk about mental health because it's not sexy because it's not something that is, um, eye-catching it's 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 a debbie downer like oh yeah you know, you, know you, t- you telling me about your depression i don't want to hear about that Did yeah. you see you know they found this monolith in uh <laughs> in, in utah so you know so it, it sometimes we have to have those tough conversations um in order to be better and to have better relationships because as humans that is our life our life is relationships 100 percent. so if we don't if we don't work on those relationships you know when we are old and gray we're gonna look back and we're gonna regret that Mm, for sure yeah listen man uh i I think i'm gonna let you close it out this is your podcast episode so i don't know if you have a a a saying like is this that's all folks or what what are we what are we freestyle stay tuned for episode eight where we're gonna interview our partners and how much they hate us (laughs) (laughs) sounds good thank you so much man i appreciate you take care
0: Up until this point in our lives, we've done the best we could with what we've known. Hopefully today we've come to learn something new so we can be better to give better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Upstream. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the dot upstream podcast and join us every other Tuesday for fresh content. Until then, just keep swimming, friends.